You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Matt Hart. Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I am blessed to serve as a part of our family ministries team here at New Hope. And as we begin our time today, I want to take you back to my childhood. Because, you know, we're always the most important person, right? But for me, I grew up in a very small rural town in Indiana. And like most basically only children, you have to find ways to entertain yourself. And so there were a variety of things that I would do. I would ride my bike, I would play baseball, I would try to find a friend, which was more challenging than you would think in a small town, but it was. But there was one particular thing that I always did that just brought me such joy and such satisfaction. Any ideas what it is? Nobody has an idea. Wonderful. We're off to a great start. Okay, so for me, one of the things that I love to do and I still love to do was to watch movies. And so we had a very small mom and pop's video store. You remember the kind, right, where you had to physically go to the video store, walk in the front door. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. But you had to walk into the video store. You had to look at the wall, like walk section by section, or sometimes they were all alphabetical, and go one by one to see if the movie that you wanted was there. And the only way you knew that is because you had to physically pull down the actual cover to see if there was a movie behind it. Some of you are like, no, we don't do that. I get that. But for me, I would go pretty much every day. And because I was a kid, usually there were movies that were supposed to be off limits. But because I knew the owners because of the small town, and I happen to know the magical membership number of 355, this video store has since closed, so don't try to rack up any fees, I was able to rent and watch pretty much anything I wanted to watch. And I loved it. And there was one particular movie that just still to this day, captivates my attention. And I brought a friend with me today to kind of help illustrate what this movie was because some of you may be familiar with it, others not so much. But this particular movie came out in 1986. And it was set in 2005. Some of you are like, yes, I love this already. Some of you are like, what is that? And we have to make sure that that doesn't tip. But for me, it was the original Transformers movie, not the Michael Bay's junk that came out years later. But the reality of this animated movie that told a story. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, I just want to give you a quick synopsis. So basically, there are the Autobots and there are the Decepticons. And I already apologized to Donna about having to try to sign all this fun stuff. But... There are the Autobots and there are the Decepticons. They're at war with each other. The Decepticons have attacked Autobot City. There's a great battle that ensues between Megatron and Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime wins the battle. The Decepticons are vanquished for a period of time. 
And all of this happens. However, in this movie, Optimus Prime sustains fatal injuries. And so he has to pass on the matrix of leadership, which, yes, is in this beautiful Lego piece. It was so exciting to build. But what I will tell you is that as he passes that on, there's something that's amazing. Because even though all of this has happened, there's still a war going on because the, the planet that the Autobots are on, Cybertron, is being hunted by Unicron a planet-consuming monster. Sounds amazing, right? Some of you are captivated. Some of you, yeah, you hear, you hear the nose up front. Uh, <laughs> some are like, Matt, you are such a dork. What is wrong with you? And wherever you sit on that is totally fine with me. But here's the thing, is this movie captured my attention so much that we went to such great lengths. We had to hook two VCRs. Some of you, again, still have no idea what I'm talking about. Two VCRs up side by side to record the movie. Yes, if you're a police officer watching online or here in the audience, I do apologize. I have learned from my mistakes. Mistakes, but I went to great lengths to do that. And my parents even told me they got rid of it, which just saddened me. So, but anyway, so we go through all that. But why was it that the Transformers movie appealed to me so much? Was it the great storytelling? Was it the cutting-edge animation, which now we just look at and laugh? What was it? For me, it was the ability that Transformers had to either be their robot selves or to be some mode of transportation to get from point A to point B. But the thing that just kept coming up over and over again, and especially as I thought about this series, the push and the pull that we've been working through that Randy and Zach have been leading us through as we've talked about the book of 1 Corinthians and looked at all kinds of topics, and they've done a beautiful and wonderful job of tackling some of the most difficult topics in all of Scripture. One of the things that I kept thinking about was the relationships that exist. The relationships that we have, the relationships that the Autobots and the Decepticons had, because they were willing to go to war with each other and keep their friendships intact. Have you ever thought about the relationships that you have? Would you say you're willing to go to those great lengths? Because here's the thing is, I don't think relationships are just on their own important. I think it's more this, that it's not what we build, but it's what happens in us during the building. It's not what we build, but it's what happens in us during the building. And here's what I mean by that. It's what we create together. It's the change that we get to see in the lives of other people that we're investing in as we live, love, and go like Jesus. Now, for this morning, as I thought about the passage of Scripture and kind of worked through some different options, I was really, really thankful that Randy and Zach had taken all the difficult ones from 1 Corinthians. Thank you guys so much for that. But I kept thinking about another story, and it's a story from the Old Testament that many of us are probably familiar with if we've been around church for any length of time. It's the story of Nehemiah. And many of us are probably familiar with this story because we know what took place. We know that there was a group of people who did an impossible thing, right? They rebuilt the wall. But there are also other layers of this story that I don't think we can afford to ignore. Because I would go so far as to say it's not just the rebuilding of the wall. It's actually what happened in the hearts of the townspeople as they were rebuilding, because here's the thing, and this is where we're going to land today at the end. I'm going to come back to this. But how we work together 
will change how others see God. How we work together will change how others see God. But before we dive into the story of Nehemiah, we need to kind of set a couple ground rules. Because here's the thing, is that the city was in just an absolute mess, right? The wall was down, the gates were consumed with fire. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But all of this stuff had happened. But the townspeople who were there, who were seeing this day in and day out, they just became apathetic towards it. They ignored it. They didn't see it anymore. And if they did have a glimmer where they possibly saw a little bit, they said, eh, yeah, we could probably fix that. They said, well, I don't even know where to begin. So why try? And so that's where this story picks up. And the story of Nehemiah, as I mentioned, we know the story if we've been around church, but I want to look at it with a little bit of a different filter today. And this is a filter that has been so impacting to me, and hopefully it will be to you. So in order for us to begin, we have to begin where they began, the beginning. And so the first thing they had to do is they had to name what is broken. They had to name what is broken in order to transform their city. Now, Nehemiah, is in his comfort zone. And we're going to touch on that. He's completely happy with where he is. But somebody, many, many of the passages in different translations say it was his actual brother who comes to him and tells him about the problem. And here's the report that he gets from Nehemiah chapter 1. It says, They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now we read that and we say, yeah, that stinks. That's catastrophic for them. But how does that connect with me today in 2023? Well, I think it's real simple. Because I think what we have to do is we have to begin to look around our community and begin to name what's broken. You see, here's the thing that we may be aware of and we may not, is there are people that walked in these doors today that have hurts, that have brokenness, that have pain, and we get really good at masking it and hiding it. There are people in our community who are really good at hiding their hurt, but it's there. And we have the opportunity to offer hope to someone else. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Guess what? Zach's teaching a class over and over again to tell you how to do that. Just a little shameless plug there. But the other thing is, is that we need to understand that we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to share God's love with other people, to provide hope for other people. But we don't like to do that, do we? It's uncomfortable, it's challenging. And just quick show of hands, does anybody like to get bad news? Yeah, my son's lying up there, but anyway, we'll come back to that later. But here's the thing, is that we don't like to get bad news, do we? And so we tend to run away from when hurt or when obstacles present themselves, and we kind of have a default response that we lend, don't we? It's kind of, kind of one of three categories. Number one, we say, well, that is not my area of expertise, Translation, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Or, this is probably the easiest one to do, we blame someone else. It's someone else's fault, and so therefore, they need to be the one to fix it, not me. Or, 
we find ourselves getting incredibly overwhelmed and anxious and we say, I don't possibly know where I could begin. But here's the thing, is if we don't do something with what's broken in our community, we forfeit the right to have influence. I just want to let that sit for a second. That if we don't do something about what is broken in our community, then we forfeit the right to have influence. In other words, when a church ignores what is broken, they forfeit their right to have influence. Do you know why we have influence? It's not because we're right. It's because we care. It's because of how we treat other people. And you see, we can work together to provide solutions, but we can't ignore what is broken. So the first insight we see is to name what is broken. The second insight that comes from the story of Nehemiah is that they leveraged whatever they had. You see, Nehemiah had this amazing you know, report coming to him about the destruction of the city, and he kind of leans in, and he's keeping a journal, and he's writing down some thoughts, and here's what he writes down. He says, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. In other words, Nehemiah had one job. Taste the food and the drink before it was given to the king and make sure it wasn't poisoned. Anybody want to sign up for that job? But it was a position of power and prestige, a position where he had things to leverage. But as he's writing these words, he's basically telling everybody, hey, yeah, I have a position, but I'm not meant to be the spiritual leader of a city. I wouldn't even know where to, begin, where to begin. But we have to understand that we are responsible regardless of our position. We're responsible regardless of our position. You see, Nehemiah was in a position of power. He had possessions. He could leverage all of those things for the people that he cared about. So guess where this is going? Exactly what Zach touched on last week. We're called to leverage our status, our resources, our access, our privilege, our knowledge, our connections, our finances for those around us. Our calling is to leverage whatever we have for the sake of other people. You see, Nehemiah didn't just leverage his whatever he had. He actually risked it all. He put it all on the line and said, I'm going to invest in somebody else, somewhere else, because they're important. And why is that so significant? I think it's because we can't expect to rebuild anything without it first costing us something. We can't expect to rebuild anything without it first costing us something. So two insights so far. Named what was broken, leveraged whatever they had. This third one that Nehemiah teaches us is this idea of going and seeing for yourself, which I think is crucial for personal transformation. He leaves his cushy, comfortable, cupbearer position, and he goes to Jerusalem. He walks around the city, surveying everything that's there. He wanted to get up close and personal with the brokenness so he could be a better leader. Because if you want to be a better leader, which hopefully you do, you have to go see for yourself. Because proximity changes perspective. 
Proximity changes perspective. And if you're not getting close enough, chances are you're not going to see the need to make the changes that are necessary. We need to get close to people that are different than us. And if we get close enough to those people, we get involved in the messiness and the brokenness of their lives, guess what's going to happen? We're going to become bothered enough that we say we're going to make some changes in our lives so that we can make some changes in their lives. That's what our mission's all about. As a church, we're called to live, love, and go like Jesus. We need to be willing to get into the messiness and into the brokenness of other people's lives. Because it will change how they see the world, but more importantly, it will change how they see God. You see, Nehemiah is a book all about expectations. He begins to challenge the people. He gives them a vision. And basically, he he doesn't cut corners. He just tells them, this is going to be rough. It's going to be challenging. He doesn't apologize. As he says in Nehemiah chapter 2, he says, But now I said to them, You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me, and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now, we read that and we say, wow, that's inspiring. But did you catch what Nehemiah actually did here? He inspired a group of people to do something they didn't know how to do. It transformed their understanding of what they were able to to do or to achieve. Because in this group, let me just paint the picture for you. There were perfume makers, pottery designers, politicians, merchants, and a cupbearer. No construction foreman. Nobody with an advanced degree. Their job was to rebuild the wall. They didn't know how to do it. And maybe for some of you today, you say, yeah, I remember a time that I was, you know, kind of had something put on my heart by God to say, go and do this. And I had absolutely no idea how I was going to do it or what to do or how to even begin. But you know what? I did it anyway. And you remember the fruit that came from that. That's the same thing with this particular story. It isn't easy, but they had to get to work. And here's the thing that has always just impressed me about Nehemiah. He knew that everybody they needed was already there. They didn't have to go look and say, well, we need somebody else. No, no, no. Everybody they needed was already there, but they needed a new vision. Why did they need a new vision? Because danger and evil were just outside the city. But more importantly, I think the reason they needed a new vision is because much like our world today, there's a generation of people whose faith is on the line. And we have that same reality today, which I think feeds into this next piece. And I I want you to understand that I'm not trying to scare you off from getting into the messiness or the brokenness of, of getting involved in people's lives. But if you're afraid, maybe you need to look at yourself. That's a challenging thing to do sometimes. But maybe you need to say, God, what is it you have given me 
gifted me with, equipped me with, called me to do, that I can do. Because guess what? Everybody we need is already here. But we need each other. So, they get to this point of the story. They're about halfway through the rebuilding of the wall, and guess what happened? They were tired. They were ready to quit. And all of this was going on. But Nehemiah had a strategic leadership moment. Because he knew the enemies were right outside the city and they were ready to attack. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by... Can everybody read that next word? I got one of you. What's, what's that next word? I stationed people to stand guard by... Families armed with swords spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In this moment, it seemed like they wouldn't finish the job. The enemy was about to attack, but Nehemiah, he takes the entire town and he organizes them in a specific way. He puts parents in the gaps of the walls to fight for their children. Moms, dads, you get this. Because if anybody comes after your baby, you're going to become mama bear and daddy bear. And you're going to do everything you can to defend them. It's a strategic leadership moment because he puts the parents in a position to be in the spotlight. And when he does this, he basically makes the parents the champions because he inspired every parent. That's amazing. He inspired every parent. And imagine the story that these children were able to tell to future generations saying, hey, do you know what my mom and dad did for me? They stood in the gap for me. They fought for me. And while God is ultimately the hero of this story, Nehemiah takes a moment where he pushes the parents into the spotlight because he wants the parents to be the champions. He wants them to be in charge of their homes and their families. It's an amazing, amazing moment. Now let's fast forward to the conclusion of this story. In Nehemiah chapter 6, it says, So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message, asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? You kind of love it. Basically, he's saying, hey, I've got to resolve the despite distractions, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to quit until the work is done. And there may be times that when we're working together that it will feel impossible, it will feel difficult, but we can push through. Why? Because we become, we become the type of people that begin to lean on one another, to tap into other people's gifts. You see, we're the church, and if we're truly the church, what if we started acting like we're one body? I believe we could change everything. Some of you are like, you are naive. Maybe, and we'll come to that here in just a second. But 
Nehemiah decided that what was happening in Jerusalem was his problem as well. What would happen if we said, you know what, I'm going to get into the messiness. I'm going to get into the brokenness of other people's lives because I know that I have a hope that I can't keep to myself and I need to share other people. And why do we do that? Because we're not designed to carry our burdens individually. Now, as I mentioned, I know some of you are probably hearing this and you're saying, Matt, you're living in a utopian world where this is so idealistic. How can we possibly begin to fix all of the issues in the world? Let's do this. Let's pick one and do these two words. We try. We try. When you do what seems impossible, you'll do more than you've ever done. And guess what? God will show up in the process. You see, sometimes I think the people of Jerusalem, they sat around amidst the brokenness and they were just waiting on a miracle because that's what they were used to. They were used to the stories of Joshua marching around the city seven times, blowing a horn and the walls come down. How cool would that be? Or what about Moses who walks to the edge of the sea, raises his staff, and the sea parts in two? Or, you can't forget little David, who goes to the creek bed and he picks up a stone and puts it in his slingshot and takes down a giant. That's what they were used to. And so they probably sat around and thought, well, God did it before, he'll do it again. Why do I need to contribute? Because we have a part to play. And here's the thing. If God was capable of doing all those stories that I just mentioned and so many more, shouldn't they be able to rebuild a wall? Shouldn't we be able to invest in a broken community? I mean, I thought about this and I thought about the generation that had just watched, you know, before they watched their families fight for them. They were probably disillusioned with God. But in 52 days, it all changed. 52 days is all that it took for a group of people who didn't know what they were doing to rebuild a wall and to secure the city. And those that were outside the wall, they changed their opinion about the God of Israel. And those that were inside the wall, they began to listen to God in a way that they never had before because the story tells us that from morning until noon, they listened to the word of God and responded. So as we think about our community today, Are we willing to name what's broken, to leverage whatever we have, to go see for ourselves, to do something that we have absolutely no idea how we're going to possibly accomplish it, and all the while seeking to inspire parents to help their children grow and know they're loved and they're cared for? Are we willing to do those things? You see, I've oftentimes wondered, did Nehemiah have any idea as he kept this journal throughout this story that it would eventually become a part of our Old Testament? Did he have any idea that the people that were working together, that that story would one day be included in the story of God and that it would be there for you and I today to understand that in order for us to live, love, and go like Jesus, we need to work together. And how we work together will change how others see God. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much 
for this amazing story. This amazing story of Nehemiah that he was willing to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a difference. Even though I don't know what I'm doing, even though it may be uncomfortable, even though it may be difficult, but I'm willing to go. God, help us today to be willing to name what's broken, to leverage what we have, to go and see for ourselves, to do something that we think may be impossible, and to help inspire parents. Because how we work together will change how other people see God. Help us to be your hands and feet so that other people see you in a new and fresh way. Jesus, we love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Let's take a couple moments to reflect, respond to God's word this morning. What is he identifying in your heart? In your life this morning, just as Matt said, of, of recognizing and then leveraging what God has given us to do his will, to live, love, and go like Jesus. So what is God calling you and your life to be different today? God calling us to do today? This week to be more like Him. What is He calling you to do? Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.